Good morning. morning. What a joy to be here. I've been wanting to do this since this church was launched, Uh, having known Alex and Andrew. And if you want stories about um, crazy things we've done on the reservation, please talk to me. I've got some really good (laughs) stories I'd love to share with you. Uh, But it's been a joy to watch God work in this church. And I'm I must say, I was here for about half an hour, and I was prayed over twice, which I think is wonderful that your focus is really on, on God and want, doing what God wants you to do. So hopefully this morning, I can be an encouragement to you. I'd like to start off by asking a simple question is, who are your heroes? Who are the people that you look up to? Who do you want to emulate in your life? And so this morning, I'd like to start out with sharing with you about uh, three different heroes that I have. And your goal is to figure out what they have all in common. And I don't think it'll be too hard. So let me share with you my heroes. The first one is a guy by the name of uh, Jim uh, Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man. And he had a heart and passion to reach people in places where the gospel had never been. And people were never going to hear the gospel unless he went. And he heard about some tribes in Ecuador. And so he began to train and to work, to prepare to go and reach these people in Ecuador. But it was dangerous work because these tribes were so primitive. And anyone that tried to get close, they'd usually kill. And that's why they had no contact with the outside world. And his heart broke because he knew these people had never heard about Jesus. So he packed up his family, several friends and their families. They went down to Ecuador, started making contact by dropping gifts down into the village to let them know he was peaceful and wanted to come in peace. Finally, they decided to try to make contact personally, landed a plane on the river, and shortly after they had gotten out of the plane to meet the people, they were killed. And you think that was a terrible story, and why did I tell it? Well, the story goes on because Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and a number of other friends continued to work to reach those people. About 15 years later, that entire tribe was reached for Jesus, And some of the people that had killed Elizabeth Elliot's husband became Christian as well. So that's one of my heroes. Another one is Brother Andrew. Uh, Brother Andrew, as a young man, had gone from his home in uh, Holland, went to Poland, and he had experienced a youth conference there put on by the Soviet Union. This is back when there was the Iron Curtain and communists covered all of Eastern Europe. And when he was there, he discovered that the churches there were very much persecuted. And the Christians were having a very difficult time. And his heart broke for the people of Eastern Europe and the fact that they were having trouble getting the word out. And so he dedicated his life to doing everything possible to help the churches in Eastern Europe. And so for the next 20, 30 years, he did these amazing things of taking Bibles and Christian literature and other materials in to support the churches behind the Iron Curtain. And every time he crossed the border, there was a chance that he would be arrested and thrown in jail. But he continued to do this work because he had a heart for these people. Now, my final missionary friend that is my hero is Hudson Taylor. And this goes back several centuries. Hudson Taylor, as a young man, also heard about a place in the world where they had no concept of Jesus, and the church was non-existent, and that was China. And so he decided that he was going to go to that part of the world and do what he can to break open that country to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, back 200 years ago, if you were a missionary, you got on a ship that took you about eight months to a year just to get to the mission field. Many missionaries took their coffin with them because they knew chances are they weren't coming back. 
But he was willing to do that, take his entire family. And over the next 40, 50 years of his life, he opened up the gospel into China. And the churches started growing and thriving there. And today, there are churches all around China that are because of the work that Hudson Taylor did. So do you see the connection between all my heroes? They're all missionaries. But even more important than that, did you notice something else about these missionaries? They were willing to do hard, difficult, dangerous things, even willing to sacrifice their lives to get the gospel to a lost and hurting world. And so as I think about these guys, I have to think, okay, why? Why were they willing to do this difficult, hard work? Why were they willing to make so many sacrifices for the sake of Jesus Christ? And then I got thinking about it even more is, why are there more Christians like these guys? And what would happen in the church today if there were more people like this willing to go wherever there were lost and hurting people and make sure the gospel got to them? We would see the world change and transformed. So let me bring it a little bit closer. What would happen if you really began to be obedient to the call that God has given to you? So the question is really this. What is it going to take in our generation today? in our world today, to raise up more workers that are willing to go into the harvest field and share this message of hope of the gospel? Well, I think a great place to look for an answer for that is Jesus, right? So we're going to look at a passage where Jesus actually begins to go out and do his work as a missionary, and we're going to learn some important lessons that I think can help us to learn to have hearts and passion for the gospel and taking the gospel to a lost and hurting world. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And this is probably a very familiar passage, but we're going to look at it a little bit different than you've ever had before. So reading from 35, it says, Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out more workers into the harvest field. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we look into your word today, I just pray it would really touch our hearts. And I'm so thankful that we have an example of Jesus who really had compassion on the lost and the hurting, that he was willing to take action and do something about it. I pray, Father, we would have the same compassion for the lost, that we could not any longer stay home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So let's begin with asking the question of, why did Jesus go? In our passage, in verse 35, it says that he went, and as he went, what did he do? He went out, he preached, he taught, and he healed. Okay, so he went out and taught people how to follow God. He taught people and preached the good news. And then also he brought goodness into people's lives, helped them right where they were at with all the needs and the hurts and the suffering that they were going through. But it just says he went. Our passage really doesn't tell us why he went. And so we're going to have to look elsewhere to find out why in the world that he did this work. Well, Uh, Let's take a look at another passage, and this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And there, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4, starting in verse uh, 18, we're going to read about Jesus as he goes out at the very beginning of his ministry. 
And what he does is he walks into a synagogue, and they ask him to speak in front of the synagogue. So he unrolls a scroll, and then he is going to quote from Isaiah, and from that prophet, he is going to describe to people what the work that he is going to start doing at that moment. And in that passage, starting in Luke 8, 4.18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the kingdom uh, for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus turned to Scripture. He found clearly God's calling for his life, and that calling was what? To go out and to proclaim the good news to proclaim freedom for the captives, to bring healing, to bring hope to people. He was called to do the work of a missionary. So ultimately, I would suggest to you that what we find in verse 30, or chapter 9 of our passage, is Jesus is now doing exactly what God had called him to do. In fact, in Luke 4, 21, it says, Scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. So Jesus says, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to start doing exactly what God has called me to do. And so Jesus begins to go out to preach, teach, and heal because it was God's plan for his life. He was doing what God had clearly called him to do. He was doing the work that was put before him by God. So I'd like to suggest to you that doing God's will was very central to Jesus, this is more important than anything else for Jesus. And so Jesus made it very, very clear that, in fact, he was going to do God's will at any point in his life. And in fact, in John chapter 6, reading from verse 38, this is what Jesus says about doing God's will. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that anyone who looks to the Son, believes in him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, isn't that marvelous? <laughs> Jesus knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He was so passionate about doing God's will, and his will was that Jesus would go out and be present with people so they could look to him and have eternal life. And that was his focus of his life. So Jesus went from town to town, village to village, preaching, teaching, and healing. And the question is, is why did he do that? Well, I'd like to suggest it's one word, and that's obedience. Jesus was doing what God had called him to do, and that's it. So the question I have for us today is, why should you and I ever go out and share the good news with other people? Whatever reason would we have to do this work of being evangelists, of sharing God's goodness and kingdom? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's very much the same because you and I have been called as well. Now, there's a problem. When I did campus ministry for 23 years, man, I think I took like uh, 11 overseas mission trips and probably 20-some uh, domestic mission trips. Every time I did a mission trip, I'd always have one college student come up to me and say, oh, I love the idea of the mission trip. Sounds great. But you know, John, I just don't feel like I have the calling. And I would go, really? <laughs> I said, well, can we look at scripture a little bit and look at that question? And the place I would take them to, first and foremost, is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, 
We should be familiar with this. Jesus is talking to his disciples at the end of his life after he's risen. And he says to them this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always till the end of the age. So the question I have here is, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's not taking like two or three of his disciples and saying, okay, uh, Peter, James, and John, you are going to be my missionaries. The rest of you have got other work for. No, he's taking all his disciples. And he says, you are my disciples. You are to go, to go somewhere and take this message of hope. And so Jesus tells his disciples, all his disciples, that they are supposed to go and do this work. Now, another passage that I really love, and this is it uh, from Acts chapter 8, or chapter 1, verse 8. And again, Jesus is at the, end, uh, at the very end before he's risen up to heaven. He's talking to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. But, I will, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, some of us have a real hard time figuring out the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, don't we? Okay, you know, what, what is this Holy Spirit thing all about? Well, here I think it's a very clear example of what the Holy Spirit's going to do in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we're told, is going to work powerfully. And I think what he's saying there is when we receive Jesus into our lives, he gives us the Holy Spirit, God in us. And God comes into our lives in a powerful way. And you and I get to experience the reality of God personally in a very real and clear and, again, powerful way. And so, therefore, you and I are able to testify to the fact that God is real, that God exists, that this salvation thing is real because the Holy Spirit is working powerfully in our lives. And so we have the ability to be witnesses because God has given us the Spirit to be able to share and testify to his reality. So not only are we given a command to go, but we're also told we have been equipped to do this work of being witnesses. So all of us are called and all of us are equipped. And so all of us need to be going somewhere, someplace, and taking this message of hope and salvation to a lost and hurting world. So therefore, you don't need a specific call. You don't need God to kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, I need you to go and, and do this work. All of us have been called. All of us need to be going somewhere. So the question is this, not have we been called to go? The question is, are we going to be obedient to the call that God has given us? So as Jesus began to go, three things happened. And I think this is fabulous. And the, because the same three things that happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you and I. So if we are willing to be obedient and start going and fulfilling our role as his witnesses to a lost and hurting world, things are going to happen in our lives. And they're really cool. And so I want you to really think about what this means to begin to go and be obedient. So what happens to Jesus as he begins to go? Well, three things. Number one, we're told in verse 36 that he had compassion. Now this word compassion is a marvelous word because it's a Greek word that means literally to be moved on your innards, which sounds awful. But in Greek, the idea of compassion and the place of compassion was they thought your stomach. And so essentially, it's kind of their way of saying to have a broken heart, to, to really be moved on the inside. 
And so at this point, we're told Jesus had compassion. And so I, I love really getting the idea of compassion clear. Um, I think my favorite definition of compassion came from my favorite theologians, Bob and Larry of VeggieTales. Um, in their movie, they suggested that compassion means to have to help so much or have so much compassion that you have to help someone. I love that. To care so much that you have to help someone. So in other words, compassion is not just being moved on the inside or just having feelings of pain for someone. It is having so much pain that you've got to do something about it, that you've got to take action. And so that's the real meaning of compassion. Well, the question is, is doesn't it seem strange that it says Jesus had compassion at this point? Okay, didn't Jesus already have compassion? <laughs> yeah, I think Jesus already had compassion. But I think we're getting an idea of what real compassion is about because I really think there are two different kinds of compassion. The first kind of compassion I would suggest is what I would call compassion at a distance. And most of us are really good at this, right? And let me give you an example of this. So compassion at a distance means that we're sitting on a Saturday afternoon watching our TV, and we're kind of depressed because the Huskers are playing. Okay, is that too early? I'm sorry. Um, and a commercial comes on the TV set, and it's a commercial about an organization that's feeding starving children in Ethiopia. And we see these horrific pictures of this mother holding, you know, this baby that's clearly starving, and there's flies buzzing around, and there's a desert scene in the background, and we're just like, okay, this, that's awful. And you feel really bad for that mother and that child. And you might be moved enough to take out your checkbook, write a check, and send it off to that organization. And you might feel pretty good about that, like, okay, I've done something to help. So my question to you is, after you've gone ahead and done that, how often do you think about that mother and child? I mean, like two weeks later, have you even thought about that mother and child? Have you prayed for them? Have you done anything else beyond sending off that check? Probably not. It's easy just to kind of do our duty and send it off and not really be affected by it. See, and that's the difference with being up close and personal and really being touched with compassion. So there's compassion that's up close. And let me give you a definition of compassion up close because it basically means that we get to be amongst those who are hurting and in pain and going through difficult times and we get to experience that in a very real and personal way. I had that happen to me on a mission trip with my college students many years ago. Uh, we took trips into the inner city of St. Louis. And in the inner city of St. Louis, we worked with an organization that was really helping the kids because the kids in the inner city had a really hard time because the parents were usually on drugs, alcoholism, they weren't present, and the kids really weren't well taken care of. So they had an after-school program where they bring all the kids in and they would do kind of a VBS program uh, for these kids. And I remember one afternoon sitting with a couple kids, and they looked like they were about four or five years old. I later found out they were much older than that. But they looked like four or five really skinny, tiny little kids, uh, really cute. And so during our lesson, we were doing manna from heaven and the Israelites going through the desert. And every uh, lesson that they did, they would incorporate food because they realized these kids probably did not get much food at home. And so we had cornflakes. That was the manna from heaven. And so the kids were just eating you know, the manna as we were telling the lessons. And so I was watching these kids next to me, and they wolfed down their, their manna from heaven. And then they asked for more. 
So I went and got some more for them, and they wolfed that down very, very quickly. The next place we went was to the snack time. And we gave these kids snacks, and I stayed with these two little kids, and I watched as they ate their food. And again, after a short while, they asked for more food. And so we got some more, and they just wolfed it down. And they just kept asking for more. And soon, all the other kids had finished their snacks and gone off, and they just kept sitting there eating. And I looked at them, and I went, okay, you guys are so skinny. Where are you putting this food? And then after a few minutes of just watching these kids, I all of a sudden saw their stomachs begin to extend under their tattered t-shirts. And it all of a sudden hit me like a, a load of bricks. I realized that these two little kids were literally starving. Because when you put food on a starving stomach, that's what happens. And so these kids, five or six years old, in the United States, sitting next to me, these kids were starving. I think the hardest part for me was I had left my daughter, about three or four years old, back home. And I mean, I love my daughter. I would never let anything bad happen to her. And here I'm sitting with these two little kids, obviously did not have parents that could even make sure that they had enough to eat, that they were not hungry. And folks, as I sat there with these kids, I just wanted to wrap them up and take them home with me. That night, I remember laying in bed in tears for these kids. And, and, and my heart just broke as I prayed for these kids that knew more suffering than I'd ever experienced in my life. You see, that's what caring up close is all about. That's what real compassion is about, that we get to experience up close and personal the suffering and the hurts of other people. And I believe that's what happened to Jesus. As Jesus went from town to town, village to village, he experienced day after day the hurts, the suffering, the challenges, the hardships of people. Day after day, more and more people came to him with their problems and their difficulties. And Jesus tells us clearly what he discovered about these people. In verse 36, it says they were harassed. That is, they were bullied, they were oppressed, beaten down uh, by life. They were weary and broken. Their lives had really done them wrong. Secondly, he said they were helpless. They could not meet their own needs. They could not rescue themselves. They could not escape from their torment. And then finally, he said that they were sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering aimlessly. There was no one there to care for them. There was no one to guide them to, to better pastors. They were on their own. And so daily, town after town, village after village, more and more people, Jesus saw the hurts and the suffering and the pain of people that it broke his heart. It broke his heart. He had real compassion. So here's my theory, folks. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, take this home with you, please. See, my theory is this. It's only as we go will our hearts be broken. Only as we go and spend time with hurting and suffering people, only then will God have a chance to break our hearts. So only as you go will God really be able to break your heart. So the second thing that happens to Jesus is he calls for prayer. So from town to town, village to village, Jesus learned that there's so much need out there. Can you imagine just the overwhelming sense of how much need and hurts were out there? And Jesus all of a sudden realized, okay, this truly is a God-sized task. This is bigger than just one person. And so at that point, Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them to pray. And this is what he tells them to pray. In verse 38, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Okay, that's a prayer. Pray for more workers. So the question is, is why did Jesus pray specifically for more workers? 
Well, he tells us, he says, the workers are few. Now, I'd like to suggest this is probably the greatest understatement Jesus ever made. Because Jesus has just started his ministry, and as far as I know, he's the only one doing the work. So indeed, there are very few workers. So why does Jesus want more workers to go out and do this work? Well, I think this is a beautiful part of the Jesus story. Because Jesus' method of reaching the world was not to come and appear to everyone in a mass appearance and terrify everyone. Jesus' way of coming into the world was to come as a baby. So people would not be afraid, but people would approach Jesus. And so Jesus' method of reaching the world was to come alongside people, to spend life with people, to work with people through their hurts and their suffering, to be with people in order to reach people one at a time. So if Jesus was going to reach people one at a time, we need a lot of workers, don't we? To think of all the people that need to be reached. And so that's why Jesus said, we need more workers to go out to the harvest field. And so I believe what's going to happen to you as well is this. As you begin to go, and as you begin to spend time with the hurting and suffering people, I don't care if it's your next door neighbor, I don't care if it's the inner city of Omaha, come up to the reservation. There are lots of suffering kids up on the reservation. Uh, go anywhere on a mission trip where there are suffering people, and what's going to happen to you is you're going to look around and go, this is huge. There is so much need out in the world. This is far beyond anything that I can do personally. And what's going to happen to you, secondly, is you're going to look around and go, where are God's people? Why aren't there more of God's people out here? These people need Jesus. And, and there's not enough people out here with the message bringing hope to these people. And it's going to break your heart for these people. And you're going to realize that, indeed, only God raising up more workers is going to take care of the needs of the world. And you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers. So the third thing that happened is Jesus takes action. Now, most of us at this point would like to go, okay, Jesus, I'm there. Um, you've just asked me to pray for workers. Um, I can pray for more workers. I can sit in my nice air-conditioned home in my lazy boy and I can pray all you want, God. I'm there. I got this covered. Well, the problem is, is our passage does not end at the end of chapter 9. It, in fact, goes on to chapter 10. And what happens in chapter 10 is that Jesus takes action. And I'd like to suggest it uh, this way. Be careful what you pray for. Because if you pray earnestly for something, God might ask you to be the answer to your prayer. Okay? Have you ever heard that? Um, beware. God might ask you to be an answer to the prayer that you give. And that's kind of what happens in our passage. Uh, if we go on to chapter 10, and we're just going to read a couple verses out of chapter 10, uh, for, starting with uh, verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verse, uh, let's just jump down to 7 and 8. And so it says this in Matthew 10, 1, Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. And then it goes on in uh, verse 7, and he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. So you notice what happened here? So every person that Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, 
he ultimately sent them out to do this work. Every person that he called to pray, he also sent. And so what's probably going to happen to you is as you begin to go and pray for more workers, don't be surprised if God taps you on the shoulder and asks you to be an answer to that prayer, that you might be called to go and do the work that God has called you to do. So what's the result? If you look at these apostles or disciples that Jesus had just asked to go out, okay, what, what happened to them? These disciples at this point, when Jesus said to them, I want you to go out and do the exact work that I've been doing. I want you to go out and to preach and teach and heal in the same way I have been going out. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that first time those disciples were sent out, I bet you they were scared to death. Okay, if I had been one of Jesus' disciples and I had been watching Jesus do this amazing work, this amazing teaching, and then one day he just turns and goes, John, go out and do the same thing. And I'm just going, uh, <laughs> Jesus, you're good at this. Um, I'll let you do the work. I'll just kind of follow along, right? And I think most of us would be in that boat. But the disciples, what did they do? They were obedient. They did what God had called them to do. They followed Jesus' command and they began to go. And I believe what happened to every single one of them is they had compassion. They had compassion. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at the rest of their lives, what happens to these disciples? All of them left their home. All of them left their families. All of them left their jobs. All of them gave up everything because they cared so much for a lost and hurting world that they were willing to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. And so they were willing to give up everything for making sure that people had an opportunity to hear the good news. And so therefore, the disciples spent the rest of their lives not only going to all the world, but many of them gave up their lives even for the sake of the gospel. And so they had compassion enough to be willing to go wherever God calls so I started out this sermon by asking the question of why do people like Jim Elliott, Brother Andrew, Hudson Taylor, why were they willing to do the hard things that they did? Well, I think we've got an answer here. I think at some point, all these heroes of mine open up their Bible at a young age, and as they read, they realize that they are disciples of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, they were called to be lights to a lost and hurting world. And so they began to be obedient. And as they went, their hearts were broken. And their hearts were broken for the people of Ecuador. Their hearts were broken for the people of Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Their hearts were broken for people in China who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they were willing to go. So folks, I think Jesus wants to tell us three things this morning. Three simple things for you to do. The first one is simply this, be obedient. Go somewhere. Go to your next door neighbor. You've got hurting neighbors that need someone to walk along them. As I said, go to the inner city of Omaha. Come up to the reservation. I would love to set you up with a trip up there. There are mission trips all the time that you can take that will place you in places where people are truly hurting and suffering and need someone to come alongside them. And you can do that. All of us can do that. We've been called and equipped. We have a great message to share with people. And secondly, as you go, allow God to break your heart. Don't just go and come back and not think about it, but truly let God really affect your deepest parts and have him really give you that compassion that you have to do something about it. 
You, you can't just walk away. You've got to continue doing the work because you care so much for those people. And then finally, pray. Uh, every mission organization I know, every mission organization I've ever worked with, we all need more workers. Not enough of God's people are willing to go into the mission field. And so pray for more workers and encourage other people to be a part of this great task of reaching the world. So the question this morning is, what will it take for you to really care about the lost and hurting of the world? As Jesus went, he had compassion. As you begin to go, I believe God's going to break your heart. And you're going to care so much for people that are lost and hurting that you can't stay home. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you that your son was willing to go and allow his heart to be broken for a lost and hurting world. And Father, truly, the world out there is in such need. All around us, Father, there are people that are hurting and suffering. The, the, the opportunities are endless. I just pray, Father, that you would help us to begin just to take those baby steps, just to go somewhere where there are hurting people, Father, that we can get involved and just allow you to really break our hearts, to begin to do a ministry that we have no concept of what you might accomplish. And I just pray, Father, that we would just be willing to make those small steps. And through your power and through your um, uh, uh, actions, Father, we just know that your kingdom is going to spread and that people will have an opportunity to know you that otherwise would not have an opportunity if we were not willing to go. And we give you all the praise and the thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.